Good morning. This thing is heavier than it looks. I want to welcome everyone to Tomball Bible Church. My name is Skeet. I'm the uh, senior pastor here. And uh, we're going to run through just a few announcements before we jump into the book of Acts again. Uh, a few things of note going on in our body. One is that today, immediately following the service, instead of our adult second hour classes, we're going to have a congregational meeting. Uh, we generally have these at least twice a year. Um, and it's a time just to kind of get updates on the ministries of the church a financial update, as well as to kind of hear a little bit about some of the direction we'll be pursuing in the future. If you are a member here, we certainly encourage you to attend. If you are a guest with us, this is a unique opportunity maybe to learn a little bit more about our church and what we're pursuing and what we feel that God is leading us towards. So we would invite everyone to come. Uh, there are second hour classes for the kiddos, but all the adults will just be in here. So immediately following the service, if you want to refresh your coffee, um, talk for a little bit, and then come back and we will get started. So, congregational meeting just after the service. Additionally, uh, we have a, a new uh, guest or member with us for the summer. We have a new youth intern. Lynn, would you stand up? want to welcome Lynn to our team here. So, she will be working with our youth this summer, particularly with our girls. And so, we're excited to have her here. Uh, girls' ministry and youth ministry extremely important, and so we know that the Lord is going to bless her, us by, by Lynn's presence. So if you guys would just make her welcome as you see her this summer, uh, keep as you pray for our students, if you would keep Lynn in your prayers as well as she is uh, leading and discipling some of our young ladies. So thank you for being here with us, Lynn. Coming up in two weeks is Vacation Bible School, which is one of our biggest outreaches we have to the community. We'll have around 300, 350 kids here. Was that? One week. Woo! The 14th, is that right? That's start date. So the 14th, it will be here and upon us. It's moving rapidly. Uh, but if you could be praying for Vacation Bible School, a few things in particular to pray for would be that the students, the kids who come from our community that are not connected to any church, are not believers in the Lord Jesus, maybe haven't even heard the gospel, that, that they would hear the gospel in a life-changing way and accept Christ during that week. would also pray that it would become an opportunity to minister to the whole family as we begin to interact and love on their kids and share the gospel with them. There's been many families that have come to faith because one of the children did. And so I want to ask you to pray for Vacation Bible School, as well as I'm sure there are still places to serve if you can take a half day off uh, that week, starting the 14th, and, and serve. We would love to have you. If you could check with Bear or Nancy, or just call the church office. There is a table here in the back. If you see that, where Inspector Zadget, did I say that right? There we go. Uh, so you see the table in the back with the VBS banner. That's where you can go get more information to sign your kid up as well as to serve. So, And one other thing uh, before we jump into what is really more of a cause of prayer, but one other announcement uh, on Monday night, some of our ladies will be meeting in the Oxford uh, House, the Student Ministry Center, uh, having discussion of the message. If you want to be a part of that, please come. There's no child care provided, so you have to leave the kiddos at home with Dad. But at 7 o'clock on Monday nights down the Oxford Street uh, Student Ministry Building. And we'll kind of shift away from what are announcements really to a cause of praise and one of prayer. Uh, two of our guys had been in Mozambique for, for I seem like the better part of a month, uh, drilling water wells, ministering to the local church there. Casey Crumby and John Qualls. Would you gentlemen stand up? I've seen you both this morning. Um, there we go. There's one. Where's John here? 
There he is. We want to thank you all for, uh, for your faithfulness to Christ and uh, ministering around the globe on behalf of Tomball Bible. So thank you guys so much. We look forward to hearing what God has done in y'all and through y'all. And uh, we're just excited to have you back. And on the other side of that, of that going and sending is uh, Tom and Armando Lunsford, who will be heading back to Ethiopia. Is it this coming week, Tom? So Wednesday, Tom and Armando will be headed back and, uh, for about two months. And uh, they'll be doing a lot of teaching to local church leaders there, uh, really excited about their ministry. And so we want to acknowledge them. If you guys stand up so everyone gets to kind of see who you are, uh, Tom and Armanda will be headed back. And the whole family, right? All right. And uh, so, so keep them in your prayers as they're equipping and serving the local church there in Ethiopia. I know it'll be a great time of reunion for them. So please keep Tom and Armanda and their ministry in your prayers. With that, we want to jump into to prayer and then hop into Acts chapter 4. We will be in verse 23 to 31 today. So if you want to get your Bible open, you can go ahead and do that. And then we're going to pray and we're going to jump into Acts 4. Father God, we thank You that You are a good and loving God. That, that while there was no way for us to come to You, while, while we in our sin were dead, You made us alive in Christ. And that that same amazing power of Your Spirit to awaken those that are spiritually dead. Draw them to the cross, as the song we just sang, clearly communicated, and give us life. We thank You that that power is still present today and still active in our midst. Father, we pray for the ministries of this church as we seek to not only be conformed to the image of Christ personally, but to expand the influence of the gospel here locally and around the world. I pray that it would be effective. Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would move through our Vacation Bible School, that many children would be saved, and that many households would be impacted for the gospel. Not because of our strength or creative ability or organizational prowess, but because Your Spirit has moved. And that is where we place our faith. And so we earnestly plea that You would draw many men to Yourself, many women and children to Yourself, that Your Son would be exalted. Father, we thank You for the ministry of of John and KC in Mozambique, for the, the precious gift of life they brought, not only in the Gospel, but in drilling fresh water wells so that, so that families and children could have access to clean drinking water. We thank You for their humble service and dedicated work. We pray that that ministry impact wouldn't end now, but would go on exponentially beyond what we would ever know. And Father, we do pray for, for the Lunsford family as they pack up and head across the world in the name of Christ. That they would have safe travel. That their spirits would be held high through the grueling schedule. That their words and the discipleship that they offer to these national and local church leaders would have an amazing impact that the church would be strengthened, that, that Christ would be exalted, and that many would come to know Him. So we pray not only for our ministries here, but around the globe. We pray that Your Spirit would move mightily. It's in Your Son Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So if you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, we're going to get rolling as we're going through the book of Acts, a, a, a series we've entitled The Dangerous Church. Today's sermon is entitled The Praying Church. And give you a little bit of a recap, if you're new with us, or maybe you're new to the book of Acts, what's going on in a short period of time is that the church has been established in Acts chapter 2, and they begin to preach the gospel, 
Earlier on, in Acts chapter 3, the apostles heal a man who had been, the text says, crippled or disabled from birth and was unable to walk. They heal him and then at the temple they begin to preach the truth of the risen Christ that is high and exalted above all men. That He is the one whom God has sent to be His servant to redeem us. In fact, he says that, that Jesus is the only name under heaven by, by which we must be saved. So the religious officials don't like that. They throw them in jail for a day or so. And then they draw them into a trial without any real ability to convict them of anything. The conclusion of the religious leaders is that they will threaten them to no longer speak or teach or do anything in the name of Jesus. To which Peter replies, you tell us what is right. Should we listen to you or to God? And so two weeks ago, we talked about the courageous church and their boldness in proclaiming the gospel. And so what we pick up today is immediately following those events, we find the, the apostles returning to their people. If you'll read with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of of your servant David, our father. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal, perform miracles, signs, and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus." After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. So we find Peter and John, after having been imprisoned, after having been threatened, going back to what the text says is their people. It's not the normal phrase used to refer to the whole gathering. And it kind of gives us the idea that maybe this was a smaller group of closer friends. Maybe the home in which they were staying, but they went back to their people. One of the things that strikes me about that is that they have people. They have people that they can go to. Many of us, especially Christians, don't have people. There's people around us. We know some people. We work with some people. We sit in traffic with some people. And we park our cars next to some people at home in the driveway before we race into the house to be alone. We come to church and we sing next to some people. And we sit next to some people. We might even serve with some people. Occasionally we'll have dinner with some people. But we don't have people. Not these people. They had a group of what I would call first responders. You know, anytime there's a huge catastrophic event, you have the team of people that hit the ground first. They had a team of first responders. The people that when struggles, difficulty, problems came up, they could go to. And they would go to them and their first response was what? Prayer. They didn't schedule a prayer meeting. 
This wasn't a regularly scheduled event on the church calendar. They went to some friends, they went to their people with a problem, and they asked for prayer, and spontaneously a prayer meeting breaks out. The group just erupts into prayer. It, it doesn't give us that there was any direction. It seems to be something completely natural and spontaneous that occurs. It says that they were there, they heard what happened, and they raised their voices in prayer. And so what we have is one of the prayers recorded. Certainly this was not the, the entirety of the prayer meeting, but one of the prayers that was prayed that seems to kind of exemplify what the body was praying for. And so they had a team of first responders when life became difficult and their job was to pray for them. If you do not have a team of first responders, if you do not have people, you need them. I would encourage you, if you find yourself in a situation where you don't have that, that you connect with us and get into a life group. For us, that's our team of, of first responders. There's a few couples that we spend time with on a regular basis that we're raising our kids with, that when we get together, to be honest, with all these children running around, there's not a real Bible study because it's just, you know, we're refereeing and playing zone defense because the kids outnumber us. But the relationship is there that when something happens, that's who I call, that's who my wife calls, that's who celebrates with us, that's who suffers with us, that's who prays for us. If you don't have that, you need that, and that's an easy way to do it. Now, some of you guys have gotten into life groups and you haven't made that step. Right? You, you're still there, you attend, but, but something comes up and you don't go to them. I'm going to ask you to take a risk. I'm going to ask you to share and request prayer and see what the response is. So they had a team, and that just jumps off the page to me, that the first response was to gather together with other believers and pray. My first response to struggle frequently is not prayer. I'm going to be honest. It's frequently planning, strategy, something else, and then I catch myself and stop praying. My kid gets sick. You know the first call I make? Carl. <laughs> After I talk to Carl, I know how hard I need to pray or not. That's my gauge. My first call should be prayer. No offense. That should be my first call. And when life happens when struggles hit us first call first response should be prayer we'll discover why here in a moment as we look into the theology of their prayer i think that's very helpful for us to look into this prayer that they pray and see what it is they believe about god expressed in the way they approach him and so if you'd look with me as they're praying they begin the prayer with these two words sovereign lord and so as they pray to God, they recognize two things about Him, that He is the Sovereign Lord. That He is the Lord, the one with all power, might, majesty, strength, and influence. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth, they will tell us. He is not only Lord, but He is rightfully Sovereign. The word Sovereign is generally used to describe a king and his role over his realm. That He has all power and authority rightfully vested in Him. It's one thing to have power, it's another thing to have it rightfully. So God is the rightful holder of all power, all influence over the universe. Are there influences that fight against Him? Certainly. But in the end, the power of God is supreme 
over every authority that has ever been seen, every influence, every power in the history of the world. And so they pray to God as sovereign Lord. They recall his power in creation. In verse 25, that he created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. That he is the one who possesses all power. Even when sinful men behave sinfully, somehow, as they rail against God, they accomplish His plan. That's what they tell us in verses 27 and 28. If you look there, you find that that these sinful men are behaving sinfully against God and His anointed one, Jesus, and yet, they still accomplish what He had decided beforehand should be done. God is so powerful that even when we kick and scream against Him, He still wins. I work in the telecommunications industry and one of the things that cracks us up is there's two sides. You've got your landline stuff that's kind of going the way of the dinosaur and then you've got all the wireless stuff that's going to give us all cancer someday. Those are your, your two things. That's not an official statement, just a joke. <laughs> the wireless stuff is funny because the company I work for owns most of the landline stuff. So even when we lose, we win. Even when the other guys get people to use their cellular phones, guess what they do when they want to move that information to their network operations center? They pay us. Even when we lose, we win. To a greater degree, this is what happens here. These people are railing, kicking, screaming, fighting against the movement of God, and guess what happens? God wins. Even when sinful men think they have thwarted and ended the purpose of God, He is victorious. God is sovereign. He is the rightful holder of all power of the universe. He is the one who created and set this world into motion and the one who in the end ultimately controls the destiny of this world, of nations, of families, and of men and women and children. It is God and God alone, even when we kick and scream against Him. And so it's significant to note that their overarching picture of God is as sovereign Lord. That's why we pray to Him. If He were not sovereign Lord, I would not pray to Him. Why pray to someone who is incapable of answering your prayer? If I did not believe that God was the sovereign Lord of all of creation, I would just work harder and be more political and try to bribe people to get what I want. Let's be honest. We would make connections, manipulate, bribe, do whatever it took to get what we wanted. That's the the baseline of human nature. We would be without hope in this world. But since God is sovereign, He has the capacity to answer prayer. So we take our request to Him. Why? Because we believe He has the power to address it. Essential in our theology are two facts. One, that God is sovereign. And two, that He is good. And that's why we pray to Him. That's why we make our requests to Him. That's why we pour our hearts out to Him. Because we believe He is good and He has the power to answer prayer. And so we plead with God for mercy. We ask Him to bless us. We ask Him to give us grace and strength and boldness. The second thing we see in their theology is that the Spirit of of God is their source of power that everything they're going to accomplish is going to be under the enabling of the Holy Spirit. That's where they look. Notice that they are asking for boldness because they do not possess it. 
It's very interesting if you take some of the apostles in the gospel stories before the Holy Spirit comes, and then you look at them after, you find radically different people. Peter is a great example of this. Peter was a bit of a blowhard and tells Jesus, I will never, ever, ever turn against you. He even goes hard to prove it when they try to arrest Jesus and attacks a man with a sword. His aim is off. He only gets his ear. Jesus rebukes him for that. But Peter's look, I, if everyone forsakes you, Jesus, I'm here to the end. Later that night, Peter denies even knowing Jesus to a slave girl. He's not bold. He's afraid. That boldness they're looking for, they understand they cannot manufacture in themselves. And so they look to the Spirit of God to give it to them. We want to be bold in proclaiming your name, Jesus, but we're not bold. If I am to be bold in proclaiming the gospel, it is because Jesus, by His Holy Spirit, has given me boldness. And so they pray. They understand that they are completely and utterly dependent on the movement of God through the Holy Spirit. And so we are empowered and enabled by God's Holy Spirit moving in us. That's His role. That's one of the key things He does for us, is give us spiritual gifts. He comes and He encourages us and strengthens us so that we can do what God has called us to do. And so they look to God to provide for the results of their lives in ministry. It's not that we have made a plan and now we, we ask you to bless it. Maybe we'll sprinkle some holy water on it and it is good. They go to God saying, give us strength and boldness. God, would you perform miracles? Would you radically change people's lives in the name of Jesus? Would your spirit do that for us? So that Jesus would be exalted. That's their prayer, is that the Holy Spirit would do something radical within them and around them. The wonderful thing I like about this reliance on the Holy Spirit is that when we begin praying that the Holy Spirit would move in us, we are submitting to Him. We're not just asking Him to do something for us. We are submitting to Him so that He can do something in us. They're asking the Holy Spirit to change them, to give them boldness. Because they want Him to take the wheel. They want Him to control things. And so they're submitting to the Holy Spirit, saying, have your way in us. Do whatever it is you need to do in us. They didn't pray, God, by your Holy Spirit, would you stop the persecution and make the preaching of the gospel easy? They didn't pray for that. They prayed that God would change them, that they would submit to the Holy Spirit, that He would work within them and give them something that they lacked. And so they are completely dependent and humbled beneath the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so we have a prayer that focuses on the sovereignty of God and our desperate need for the Holy Spirit to guide us and enable us. The third thing, theologically, that we see here is a Christ-centered prayer. The prayer is about Jesus and Jesus being exalted, lifted up, made great, that the name of Jesus would be famous throughout the world. That is the crux of their prayer. Everything they ask for, God, that you would do these things in the name of your holy servant. You're exalted and anointed one. That, that the gospel would be proclaimed. They're asking 
for God to enable them to proclaim the gospel of the risen and exalted Jesus. When they say we want to preach your word, that's all they've been preaching in the book of Acts. Is that Jesus, whom you crucified, God has anointed, rose from the dead, and made both Lord and Christ. That is the message. Is that Jesus is over and above all of creation, and the one to whom we pray, the one to whom we seek Guidance, the one we look for for salvation. Everything that we do should exalt Jesus. And so their prayer is that Jesus would be lifted up. That people would be healed in the name of Jesus. That their lives would be changed in the name of Jesus. That they would trust not in the sacrificial system and their religiosity or their own moral code. That people would trust in Jesus because He is the only name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The whole thing is about exalting Jesus. And so they have a prayer focusing on the sovereignty of God, recognizing their need for the Holy Spirit and a pure, heartfelt, passionate desire to lift up the name of Jesus. That's their theology. It's Christ-focused, Spirit-directed, in all of the sovereignty of God. So what are the results of that kind of prayer? The Scripture tells us immediately that they proclaim the Gospel boldly. That God answered their prayer that in their weakness and submission to the Holy Spirit, God provided strength and they boldly proclaimed the gospel. We read on a little bit further in Acts 5, we find the apostles healing countless people. God answered that prayer as well. And then something very interesting it tells us is that the earth was shaken beneath them. That a small group of God's people prayed and the earth shook. The thing that loves, I love here is that the arm of God is not shortened by the size of the prayer meeting. A few people gather to pray and the earth shakes. And people's lives are changed and the gospels proclaim boldly. A few people. Praying prayers focused on Christ, submitted to the Holy Spirit, and God shakes the world. It's important that we pray this way. Ephesians 6 tells us that we don't rail against flesh and blood, but that we fight against rulers and powers and authorities of darkness in this world. That is our struggle. And so we pray. Because our prayer is that the Holy Spirit, by moving, would shake those powers and those authorities and principalities, and that we would see God move and break through the darkness. We look up and we see an enemy greater than us. And we recognize that we are fully and entirely dependent upon God because we cannot overcome this. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, guys, here. The battle for the kingdom advancing, the battle for the eternity of men and women and children and nations is not fought person to person. It's fought as the Spirit of God advances in response to the prayer of His people. Yes, God is sovereign, but in God's sovereignty, He has chosen to move in response to prayer. And so we pray. We pray prayers that Christ would be exalted, that people's lives would be changed, that He would change us and conform us to the image of Christ. 
and the earth shakes and lives are transformed. What we find here is the basic statement that prayer works. It's not an exercise in futility. It's not something we do to check off a list so that we can tell our friends at church that we pray. But prayer works. It changes things. It changes us. If you go to John chapter 14, I'd like to show you something. As Jesus is speaking about prayer in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. We'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask anything, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Prayer works. If we're committed to the movement of Christ, to that mission that He lays out, Jesus says, if you're committed to that, if you're doing the things that I was doing, and you cry out to God in my name, I will answer your prayer. Doesn't mean we can go around asking God for new Lexuses, and it's going to automatically appear in our yard. But when we are committed to the ministry that Jesus laid out for us, we cry out for Him, He answers our prayer. I didn't plan for this, but I want to do a quick show of hands. How many of you in the last month have seen God answer a prayer just with amazing clarity in your life? Prayer works. God answers prayer. God changes things. God changes us. The key thing is that prayer is intended to be something related to the mission that Jesus gave us. Did you notice that in John 14? If you will do the things I've laid out for you, when you cry out to me in that pursuit, I will answer. If you look at Acts chapter 4, they're praying for what? For the name of Jesus to be exalted and made great. And God answers. Prayer is related to mission. Towards this discussion, John Piper uh, provides a great word image. He says that prayer is designed to be a wartime walkie-talkie. Like the radio packs that the military men carry on their, and women carry on their backs where they call in support. Generally what those are used for is this, guys, is that you have ground forces in a conflict. They recognize their inability to overcome their enemy and they call headquarters so that the general can send in firepower from above. It is a wartime walkie-talkie. As we advance the mission of the gospel, we see that we are inadequate on our own and we humbly submit to God and pray for Him to do something. And firepower from above comes down so that the mission can be completed. We have taken a wartime walkie-talkie in many cases and turned it into a domestic intercom where we ring the butler and we ask for another pillow or a Fig Newton. And it doesn't work. It malfunctions. Because it's intended to be something to call in headquarters related to the battle. And we have taken prayer and we said, I really don't like that whole battle thing. I'd rather work on some comfort. Could you drop the thermostat a bit? And God quits being our all-sufficient source and becomes our cosmic butler. 
And when we pray in such a way that God and His Holy Spirit exist to be our cosmic errand boys, run around doing our bidding for us, your prayer will not be answered. There is a whole theology out there, guys, that says, you tell God what you want, you recite these words, and He'll do it. That is a lie. It's easy to sell because we all want stuff. It plays on our sin nature, which is materialistic and greedy. And you tell people, let's package greed and materialism in spiritual words so we feel good about it. And then we think we can manipulate God into serving us. How foolish. The prayer we see here, the prayer we see in Acts, is a prayer focused upon the mission God has given them to exalt the name of Jesus above every name. That at the name of Christ, every knee would bow and tongue confess that He is Lord. That is the mission before us. That is why God gave us prayer. Not so we could get another fig newton or pillow. And if you find yourself in your prayer life wondering why you don't see God move, I'm not offering guarantees, but I'm asking that you think about your approach. Have you fallen into a prayer life that is about God meeting all of your comforts, not seeing the name of Jesus exalted? It's easily done. It's also something you can... Prayer works, but that's how it works. We start using it differently. We begin to see the wiring short out. The other significant thing I find in Acts 4 is it gives us a bit of a pattern of how we should pray. We find them praying to God the Father. Sovereign Lord, they cry out to Him. And then they they reference Jesus and His Holy Spirit. So as we look at the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's pretty easy to determine that their prayer is to God the Father. So they pray to Him as the head of the Trinity and they seek Him. We do this because this is how Jesus told us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray our Father. And so we pray as Christ did, as He taught. The normal way to pray is to God the Father. If someone prays to Jesus, that's not wrong. We're not going to hit Him over the head. That's not a sin. Someone prays to the Holy Spirit, it's not a sin. But the normative way to pray, what we find laid out in the Bible, is that prayers are directed to God the Father as a normal, general rule. And that we pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus. So we pray to the Father through the Son. We do that because Jesus is our only confidence in prayer. Hebrews chapter 4 lays that out very clearly for us. If we could put that up. Says we do not have a high priest in reference to Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We pray to the Father before his throne of grace in the name of Jesus, and in doing so we have confidence when we pray. He is our only source of confidence. Because for us, absent Jesus, our sin has separated us from God. Isaiah chapter 59 says that because our sin has separated us from God, in verse 2, 
Isaiah 59, 2. God says, Your iniquities have separated you from God, for your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Sin, undealt with, not covered by the blood of Christ, separates us from God so that our prayers fall on deaf ears. Can God hear? Yes, He's not hearing impaired, but His ear is not inclined to those whose prayers are not coming through the name of Christ and the blood of Christ. Because our only confidence in prayer is through Jesus. Ephesians 5 describes the non-believer as apart from the, the promise of God and from the covenants without hope in the world. So that those who, who do not know Jesus, who are not covered by His blood, as they pray, God is not inclined to hear it because their sin has separated them from God. It is not as if God has turned His back on us, but that we, in our sinful nature, by our own desires and choices, have written off God until we need Him. And then we shoot up one of those prayers that's something like this, Dear God, if you do exist, and I'm not sure, would you please help me out? I promise I'll be better next time. It's not faith. It's not coming through the blood of Christ. God says in Isaiah 59, I don't hear. I want to draw two pictures for you. Isaiah chapter 59 says that the sinful man, because of his sinful nature and heart, is separated from God and his prayers are not heard. And the book of James tells us that the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. Do you know the difference between the sinful man in Isaiah 59 and the righteous man in James? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. We are made righteous when we accept Christ's sacrifice for us, that He died on the cross for our sins and rose again. When we trust Him, as we approach the throne of God, like Hebrews 4 says, we do it with Christ interceding for us, His blood covering our sin, and God the Father hears our prayer and we pray confidently before Him. For many of you, you do not know Jesus, you have been praying, and it is essentially noise pollution. And if you wonder why someone who hasn't trusted in Christ, your prayers have not been answered, it's because your sin has separated you from God. And the only way in which your prayer life will become fruitful and meaningful, that you'll really interact with your Father in Heaven, is through the blood of Christ. Accepting that He died for you to cover your sin and that you can never be righteous on your own and Jesus freely credited righteousness to you when you responded in faith to Him. Today, you have the opportunity to pray the first prayer to God the Father that you can have confidence will be heard. When you ask God to forgive you and you proclaim to Jesus that you trust Him because that's the cry of your heart. And so we pray through Jesus because that is the only way we can have assurance that our prayers are answered. And we pray by the Spirit. The Spirit teaches us to pray. He changes our hearts so that we know what to pray for. He prompts us to pray at times. Have you ever had that moment where you just said, I just need to stop and pray for this person? Do it. Chances are that's the Holy Spirit. Do it. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, if we could put that up, gives us a nice understanding of how the Spirit works in our prayer. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness... We don't know what we ought to pray. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans and words we cannot, that words cannot express. We don't even know what to pray. I've been there. 
when Jack was a little baby, when he was about maybe four months old, we kept running tests on him. And his, some of his blood count, like iron counts and stuff, were just off. They were off. And, and we tried vitamins, all these different things, and it never addressed it. And so the doctor said, well, you need to go talk to a pediatric hematologist. I'm like, okay. Did enough Latin, hema, blood, hematol, blood guy. Okay. And he works with kids, pediatric, blood guy, right? So we go to Children's Hospital in Dallas, and we get on the fourth floor, and the doors open in the elevator, and I see pediatric oncology, which for the non-medically schooled, as me, that means cancer. I'm going because my kid's iron count is off, okay? I didn't need to see cancer on the door. My heart dropped. I turned to Alicia. I said, honey, we're on the wrong floor. They told us the wrong floor. And she said, well, let's ask them at the booth. And so we step out, 